Boom. He was late. It's all right. It was well timed. Well, so now now I'm gonna be lamb. I'm gonna be super late. Fa lamb, like how I pronounce the Remo heads. Fa lamb's bottoms. <laughs> Why is there an A there? Why wouldn't they just it, flams? Isn't copyrighted. Fa. Why know. not even an H? Fa lambs. Fa. I don't know. I've always I've really always wondered why it's not just spelled flam too. Like why is it F A L A M? Great question. Maybe flam is copyrighted by Vic Firth. We I should we know. should email Vic Firth. Wait, the <laughs> company can't copyright the company. can't copyright rhythms. Well, well, welcome back to another episode of the Aged Out Podcast with uh, me, Evan Worrell, and Mike Fantini, and we got a, a great guest today that is very special, near and dear to my heart. Uh, the mentor, the inspiration, the guy who taught me literally how to hold sticks the right way and move them through space and time, uh, the good old Justin Fisher. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Glad to be with you. Yeah, so we're just going to kind of, there's a lot, some stuff to talk about. Obviously, Justin uh, taught me how to drum, had a lot of uh, his lineage of drum stretches back through both what touches, I guess, Mike and mine for how we got into the activity. Yeah, he, he, um, his he drummed, tree, his family tree of drums, I guess. Yeah, he drummed with the guys in college that taught me how to drum. I, he taught me for a winter season when I was a wee babe. So we'll um, get into some of that. And yeah, it's going to be a good one. I think we'll start this one today with the DCI proposed rule changes. And we wanted to save this topic for him because he's, he's pretty experienced when it he's comes he's seen more seasons than we have correct i'm getting old <laughs> is that what that just means? say it just say just it, say it. Nah, okay. the, the old doc holiday i'm in my prime uh, it's true age is relative it's right but we'll get into some of that stuff and then just also pick his brain about teaching and he runs a very successful high high school program and talk some about that but uh yeah the high school dynamic is definitely something that I've wanted to talk to him about for a while because he has been in the game so long and had many 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 successful groups so just to kind of compare West Coast versus Midwest versus East Coast and how things are set up, why certain areas are better than others. But we'll get to that eventually. I think I'll, we'll start with the DCI stuff because, you know, George Hopkins is going to be George Hopkins. and it should It's be always interesting. interesting. I, print, I actually printed these out, so you might hear some shuffling of paper, and we'll get Justin's take on it and then just kind of roll through it. So obviously it started out with a bunch of proposals. They do it every year, um, which... I think it's important because the activity's changing. So all the time, you got the rules got to change. Like things got to they got to adapt, adapt or die. I agree with that, but at the same time, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's definitely things that need to be changed in DCI, but there's some things that are work that work well. There's a very, and I think, go ahead. Big difference in evolution versus self-serving. Correct. Yes. Very yes. very true. So, like for instance, I think a self-serving to to use what you just took off of one of the proposed rules was like. George Hopkins wanted to, uh, no, I don't want to have any more scores. Go to ordinals. Instead of scores, the proposed calls for corpse uh, cores to simply be ranked by ordinals. First, second, third. Um, the finish will be determined by ordinals, except general effect will be the tiebreaker. So basically get rid of everybody getting scored an 18.2, and you're the first or you're last in the old Ricky Bobby. <laughs> and to, I was just like, I read that, and I was like. To me, the activity is already so subjective. It's like. I heard so many times when I was marching, like, uh, at the end of the day, guys, if we had a great show, it doesn't matter, because at the end of the day, the scores are just like six people's opinions up in a box, which is true, but if you take the numbers away, it becomes even more subjective, and it's more just like, well, I like this about this group, so 
they're going to win. Or you know, what I mean? it's just. And then politics can come in even more if there's no. The number gives accountability, in my opinion, to the judges. I don't know. I agree. I you said it. I don't really even know why it matters. Yeah. Well, and like speaking from a pure like judging perspective, a lot of times people say like, "Oh, that guy boxed himself in." If you're only working with, like, say you're judging DCI finals, you have twelve groups. If you're only working with twelve numbers and that's it, the likelihood you're going to box yourself in for scores is like way greater than say you have one through twenty plus all the decimal places. So you can like give this group an 18.8, but you know you have room to work with. Where if you give group that goes on fifth, fourth place, it's like, where, where do I go? So yep. he always has pretty radical ideas. That was and, a Hopkins suggestion, right? Yeah, I mean, and I feel like with him, it's he has radical ideas that hit or they miss. And when they miss, they, they miss pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> another proposed idea no scoring before july 1st i won't oust these people i guess even though it's public information guy from phantom will pitts yeah whatever uh, i don't know what in what capacity he works with phantom man but for all contests before july 1st no scores will be given uh corpse will be adjudicated with recorded commentary and critique but no scores will be assigned or announced and i see that going on along with the whole no on-field judges it's like the next evolution of the no on-field judges until, what is it now, the first regional? or Let's just keep pushing the show dates back later and later. No, it's, I don't understand it. Do your shows on July 8th then. Yeah. Like, know? And I think the, one of the rationale he said in here was like people make design changes and it well, gives them a chance to make design changes without being negatively Why can't they do it's that like, if they're given a number? Okay, like, why does right. it, Why does a yeah. number prevent you from adjusting your show? Plus, people don't design shows for July 1st anyway. They no. design them for August 13th or whatever yes. DCI Finals Day is. Like, okay, you're not really that worried about coming in fourth place at the first show of the year. In like, the middle of Iowa. They don't care. So I just don't. It's, to me, that's like a participation trophy, like rule change. Like let's give everybody a trophy yeah, for doing it's well. Self-serving and let's feel good about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. What else we got? Uh, brass amplification limitations. I mean, who's going to monitor that? I don't really know how you would do that. Add a brass two judge at large shows. Maybe I don't, I don't know. know enough about the judging setup. In all, in all honesty, to. Would that even affect anything? What would that help? So those were kind of the proposals. Let's get... Well, let's go here. We'll go to the ones that actually got passed. So this was straight straight from the DCI.org. I'll just read it off the, the news article or the release that they had. So one of the most significant changes approved uh, will increase the corp maximum membership from 150 to 154, uh, passed with a 20 to 1 vote. A uh, subsequent motion was introduced to increase the limit to 160, but was voted down. So I guess they're adding four more members. I don't see that as an impact, really. I don't, okay. I don't either. Years ago, part of the justification was for buses. Let's fill up these seats and, and make the amount of buses and fueling that we have more viable. Now, I really I don't understand where that's coming from. I, I don't know. I think in the proposal it was had something to do with just numbers from like a percussive standpoint. You have this 80 brass, 40 guard, this amount of percussion. But, I mean, every group does different, I don't know, separation from how many they put in brass to how many they put in percussion to how many conches so, they have versus how many trumpets they have. So 
everybody's kind of doing their own thing anyway from a drill standpoint and drill writers are like i want this many numbers this many number here's a question and this is might be a dumb question but obviously core division or all cores i guess are 150 members right there's a cap 154 now okay well touche <laughs> but so previously you could have 150 members in your core and you could divide that amongst the sections how you so chose correct? yes is that how it's set up yeah. yes and i don't why would they want why is it a big deal to add four like what I, is four going to do i guess somebody just found a magic number with you can have this many in the, the low brass this many in the high brass this many in the on-field percussion, this many in the sideline, front ensemble percussion, this many for drum majors, guard. That's got to be another self-serving. Like, I really, I can't find another justification. Like, what was it before it was 150? Do you remember? Uh, 135, and it was 128 before that. Years ago, there was another similar bump from 128 to 135, and even then, I can't remember what that was. like seven people? Yeah, that's negligible at best. Like, I could see, like, 135 to 150, 15 people... Is, that's is gonna, a good bump. It's going to impact stuff, that's, but that four is and like you said, if you have anything. three charter buses that you're renting with twelve open spaces, then like why not fill those twelve open yes. spaces with tour fees and bodies if you're right. going to have the bus on the road? So you're getting the money. That makes sense to me. Um, let's see here. The proposal to expand the field of drum corps that advanced the DCI Championship Finals from 12 to 15 was voted down uh, in a vote of 6 to 13. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yes, it's, it is. It's 12. It's, it's always been 12. Like We've talked about it's already well, difficult know, it's for judges to accurately, I guess, rank or slot. I don't like the word slot, but I'm going to use it here because I can't think of anything else. But when you have a large number of groups, you watch one group go on second, but... 10 groups later, that's like three hours. You're not going to have a great memory of that group in the beginning. At least for quarterfinals, it's an issue. Finals, it's less groups, obviously, and you're kind of like, they've had two previous days of rankings to choose your order. But the first day of quarterfinals, like, it's, if you increase that number, it's just going to have more likelihood of, and I think it'll affect the subcaptions more than like percussion scores and guard scores than it would more overall core. Because, like I said, by the time you get to finals, You've been ranked for two days previously, so you're performing, in theory, in order of uh, achievement at that point and show design and all that stuff. But it's why we have the discussions about you might have a phenomenal percussion section in the eighth place core. They're at a big disadvantage. They're not going to win a drum trophy. No. Even if they are the best group that summer, they're probably not going to win that drum trophy because there's seven more groups they're going to watch and they're going to forget how awesome, unless you are just absolutely perfect, undeniable, which we're humans, that ne- has never happened in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. Expanding expanding the numbers in finals I think would be a terrible decision. Well, that, that number, it, it determines the elite groups. Yeah. There cannot be 15 elite groups. 12 is already a pretty bold number. I think so too. Know? It could even be less if you're going to be truly elite. Mm-hmm. It, you just dilute the pool when you start adding 15, 18, 20. There has to be an end. If you're going to have some, it's only what, 25 world-class cores yeah, at this point? Ish, roughly, give or take roughly. A, one or two? If you're going to keep increasing that number, why have three nights? Why not just do two? Well, ticket sales is part of it. But like, yeah. <laughs> but if you want to really push that and get people to go all three nights, like, or as many as you can... You increase the number, like there's no point of having quarters. Right. Just do prelims and finals at that point. And I mean, 
you and I sat through semifinals live last year. I was ready That's to the my... most band that I've watched. <laughs> and by the time we got to the end, like Blue Devils, Crown, and all those groups, I was just like mind numb. I was like, oh, I was ready to blow my brains out. Gosh. And if you're looking at last year, the groups that finished 13, 14, 15, you're talking Mandarins, the Academy, and Colts. And no offense to anybody that teaches at the Academy or designs there, but that hair show is not a finals quality design show, in my opinion. The Bugs Bunny. The Bugs Bunny, uh, Daffy Daffy Duck. Duck. It's like, no, like that should have been in finals. And it wasn't, so keep it out. Exactly. It's. I think that was the right call on their part. To me, that kind of becomes the true separator. You know, you can have great execution in that range of, of placement, but your design is maybe very flawed. It's not very entertaining. It's not very engaging. That's a true elite delineation. It's not you know? activity changing. Or no, something. it's not. Yeah. It's you're doing the same things that everyone else is doing. Maybe the levels are a little bit different. Yeah, it's the pool. It's not good. Yep, good call on their part for to not let that happen. Yes. All right, see here. Next, the proposal to add a second music analysis judge, which was amended in the caucus session to undergo a trial period during the 2018 DCI tour, uh, passed in a unanimous vote, but was immediately, I guess, decided to just skip the trial, and they're going to add a second music analysis judge immediately this summer. Um, I don't really understand that because I don't know the sheet that well, I guess. That's what I was What the music say. analysis judge is looking for. Um, I don't know if one is going to be more, I think looking back at it, maybe one is going to be more percussive specific and one is going to be more um, ensemble specific. I don't know. but I'm not informed enough. I don't know yeah, what, I can't what really difference this is going to make. One way or another on that, but I don't know. I think the whole music ensemble judge anyway like the perk two i guess that is now the guy that sits in the box like he does more of a music analysis perspective anyway like he's judging on how well the whole ensemble fits big with picture. what the brass brass is doing big picture yeah like you said so i don't know if that's really going to change too much or it's just labeled differently and yeah. the verbiage is different i feel like a lot of this stuff is just like verbiage like right, what are just they shifting about? around things that already already exist or maybe even clarifying roles for previous judges yep yeah yep. Which, clarification, and I'm all for that. Yeah, it's never a bad thing. Nope, not at all. Uh, let's see here. Actually, all right, well, if I continued reading, then it would have said, <laughs> the result of the, this proposal means that the summer will no longer uh, be a percussion ensemble judge. So that's what I thought. Instead, there will be two music analysis judges, one with a focus on percussion, and the other will have a brass emphasis. So... Okay, I think it's basically the same thing, but hopefully it kind of streamlines the verbiage there. Uh, Another point of discussion raised during the rules voting session addressed smaller early DCI tour events that utilize a panel of five adjudicators. So I guess like starting out in the summer, they'll drop a brass judge, they'll drop a percussion judge, which is done for, I'm sure, monetary reasons. Uh, But that led to a motion that they passed unanimously, unanimously. Man, that's a... That's a mouthful. Hip hop anonymous. <laughs> Five dollar words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Led to a motion that passed unanimously to utilize a full panel of eight judges for those shows, starting with the 2019 DCI tour. So I guess you won't see it this summer, but that always kind of bugged me, I guess, too, because Mike and I have friends that now teach and stuff, and you go to a show and there's not a percussion judge there, so. I guess you're getting the experience performing, but you're not getting the feedback. 
which is what you want. Yeah, right? I never understood why. Especially from a staff standpoint. I, I never understood why there were shows without certain judges there. It didn't. It never made sense to me. If 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 all that stuff factors in to your overall score at the end of the season to get the most accurate read as early as possible, wouldn't you think it'd be optimal to have a full judge panel at every DCI show? Absolutely. It's also a competitive tour with an end result based on placement. Exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah, in high school, like you go to like a show where there's not a percussion judge, but in the state of Kentucky, that doesn't really matter. Yeah. And to be honest, in KMEA, percussion does not factor in to your overall score. Not factored. So you're, and I think in mid states, I think percussion and guard is ends up being 10% of your overall score. No, it was when I was in high school, at least. I'm not sure now. Not anymore. Oh, okay. I actually read that recently. Okay. Because we talked about it before on here. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, like, why would you not want the feedback? And then, also, I, it blows my mind, too, where they have the shows where people are on the field, but they don't actually go out. But then they do later in the season. Like, they're not getting out there in the mix. So, it's it's all just kind of shifting, I think, for money reasons with DCI. Like, they're trying to, like, trim down and be as efficient as possible. But at the same time, it's like it's still baffling to me that DCI has been in existence since the seventies, and here we are still fumbling through the judging. Yeah, system you'd think they would have figured it out by now. You would think so. And again, I know we're talking; the activity evolves, and there's growth and change. But as far as the judges' role, has it truly changed? That I'm not sure of. Yeah, I think they're almost just like looking for things to change for the sake of making changes. It's it's weird. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, some of this stuff does need to change. In, or, I won't say change, but just evolve with the addition of electronics. And there has to be a way to monitor that. And there has to be a way to comb through that and who's doing what and how much is allowed and that sort of thing. But, like, as far as evaluating the kids on the field, like, are they doing it, are they doing it well or not? Right. But that, that can almost also go back to something Justin said earlier. Once you get to a point, execution's pretty similar. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at the top six every season, now there are sub-captions where one group might be a little cleaner drill-wise or whatnot, but all those top six, really, honestly, all right, we'll say top six. All those top six groups are pretty damn clean. They are, and they're pretty close. And what separates them really at the end of the day is show design. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I agree. I don't no, I was know. just saying, move on. I'm good. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, there's not too much more to this. I mean, basically, they voted down a bunch of stuff. Like, let's see here. They, uh, yeah, they voted down a bunch of the rules. Other proposals that failed to advance were ones like changing the makeup of five judges in a proposal to do the ordinals. Obviously, that failed. Like we talked about, they, one person voted yes and 24 voted no. I bet we can guess who the one who voted yes was, <laughs> the person who proposed that. Um, His last name is Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> Rhymes with Hopkins. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. They said that George Hopkins also made two additional proposals, uh, altering the way that scores and placements are announced at DCI Finals, and one other one that they said that they would review at a later time. Like I don't know. Why How that, could you change the announcement? I don't know why that matters at all. Just yeah, say the scores. And That's order a self-serving. <laughs> any point in any phase of this activity, whether it's BOA, DCI, WGI, everything should be geared towards the student member experience, and a lot of those 
the judging thing, I, I feel like could be closed doors. Like not even staffs and designers should really worry themselves with it. You know, they should to a degree, obviously, but let this group figure this out, get the experience right, and then that's it and move on. That was one of the big things too we talked about just like with people who teach like if you're in a design staff like just design the best show and teach your kids the best way. Because at the end of the day it's the opinions of eight people up in a box. It's not like playing a basketball game. There's not a definite winner and loser. It's easy to see who wins in a basketball game. They put the ball in the hoop more than the other team did. Or in a baseball game same yeah. thing. Football. It's it's too subjective like at the end of the day. Maybe just that's can't. why after 30, 40 years, they're still figuring out this judging thing because it is just subjective. Yeah. And I get it. Like, some of these people are just trying to play the game and give their group the best opportunity, but it's like, at one at some point, you just got to feel like you're focused on the wrong thing. And That's honestly, it. these the smaller cores that don't finish in the top 12 or the lower half of the top 12, if you want those members to stick around and not like March a year at the 11th place core that summer. And then, all right, well, I got all this experience and knowledge. I'm going to go try and win a medal somewhere, or I'm going to go to a top six place. The way you get them to stick around is designing an awesome show, having a great staff, focusing on give them, giving them a good experience. Yes. If you do that, for example, the, the kid that was the center at Crossman this summer, Josh and Jared were telling us he was in rhythm X the season before he could have gone somewhere else, but he had had so much fun with them there. Carter. He came back. Yeah, I think his name's yeah. Carter. I don't really know. But he decided to come back. I think that was his... Was it his second year there this year? It was his second year. So he did his first year. Loved it. Was He did with the Mex that winter afterwards. So he probably could have gone to a higher group at that point. Yeah. But he decided. Stat, love the staff. Friends of mine are coming back too. I'm going to go do this and try to make us better. If you don't focus on that, you're never going to advance the the place your core finishes in because you're just going to have kids come, get the experience, go somewhere else. I'm amazed how many people forget that. Even at uh, the design level, you know, I've been doing this a long time and some of the shows that I was a part of that uh, won medals, like one of the indoor shows that you were a part of mm-hmm. with uh, with me teaching. You Kate's know, Creek. <laughs> that medal, like, I, I feel very honored and, and positive about the whole thing and glad to have done it. But, you know, the last show that I worked with that group as you know a part of the staff i feel better about that show and it was eighth place yeah that one means way more to me than was that the guardians one yeah that's the best design show tate's greek's ever i almost said i almost said the exact same thing i was (laughs) like that is hands down the best one they've ever done it comes back to experience that was Uh, i bet i bet a lot of those kids came back next year too didn't they for that yeah wasn't electrify the next one yeah and a lot and, and look they bumped to world that year and look what happened they made finals because well, they, they got they had retention, they got kids to come back. It was a good experience. That was a great season. It was fun. Yep. But it didn't win a medal. It was not even close. But it was a great experience. Yeah. And so the group as a whole got more kids to come back, and they built on that, and yeah. they made world finals the next season. I think a lot of the, it's funny too. Like you look at the the cores or the names associated with the cores that are making these proposals, and it's like people that are on the cusp, but but it's not like it's not the Blue Devils. It's not the blue coats. It's not crown. It's like Cavaliers, blue coats, Phantom, Cadets. Like it's a lot of kind of that, like middle of the pack. Like they're trying to like just make the surge. So like I get it, but at the same time, it's like you didn't get to like the four to eight range by rule proposals or rule changes. You got it by 
increasing your staff and getting better staff, getting better members, hiring the Mike Jacksons, like keeping the Mike mm-hmm. McIntoshes and stuff. That's how you got where you were. Mm-hmm. It's not by some dumb rule change. Well, it's funny you say that because I can't remember what core it was. And even if I didn't remember, I probably wouldn't say it because I don't want to call anybody out in this regard because I don't even know if it was proposed in the end. But I heard something through the grapevine that was along the lines of they wanted to put a cap on the electronics budget. Not the levels with which you could mic your stuff, but like you couldn't spend more than X dollars on on electronics for your group. And it's a slippery that, slope. That's a slippery slope. And oh, the yes. only purpose of that, I see it as a leveling the playing field type thing. It's almost like, yeah, you've been successful as an organization. You have more money than us, so you can do this better. And I kind of see a side of it. If you're going to go that direction, I know the electronics thing is the new thing. But what about but, props? Well, not even there yet. There's groups that are playing on ragtag old brass instruments. There's groups playing yeah. on ragtag old percussion instruments. You have a Canstall, Dynasty, DEG, whatever, Company X sponsorship. You have new horns. We don't. You have an advantage. No. No, you don't. Work with what you have. Yeah. Yep. Play better. Play better, design march better, better, design better. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Crown didn't always have a get new horns Yamaha deal. They weren't always at the top. They worked their way to the top. You work with what you have. You, like, des- you design for what you have. If it's bare bones, you roll with bare bones. You add to it. You design for it. But I guess I could see. It. I guess I could see the argument for having like an electronics budget cap along the lines of the NBA salary cap, though, because that kind of tries to keep NBA one NBA team from being more popular and having more money. So I kind of see where. But that- are there NBA super teams right now? I would say so. Yeah, there are. So it doesn't yeah. matter. There's, there's a cap, but it doesn't matter. They're going to have guys that want to win rings, and they're going to say, all right, well, I'll just take less money. But it's a diff- yeah. I can see both sides of it for sure. I can see both sides of that argument. I can see the pitfalls of it. I can see the, the end of the day, just, hey, man, just play better. But that comes back to regardless of money spent, there's a cap. I'm going to play because I want to have fun. It's because there's good things going on. They want to be a part of it, which is... People are still going to go to the Blue Devils because yes, they're the Blue Devils. Because they're going to win, because they're doing great shows, great yeah. concepts, great design, great instruction. That's if I march at the Blue Devils for two years, there's a good chance I'm probably going to get close to winning. Yeah. <laughs> Especially right now. <laughs> so that's just the way it can... Yeah. How many times have they won in the last five years? A lot. <laughs> they won this year, right? They won uh, they this past won, year. I don't know if you're well. If you're spanning back, they won in 03, we're going way back. Oh seven, oh nine, two thousand ten. Cadets won in eleven. Eleven. They won in two thousand twelve. They won. In, I don't know. Fourteen, fifteen. They they've won most of them. Probably fifty percent of the last fifteen years, BD has won a gold medal. Yeah. So. They're just doing it right, man. They they get the, they get good kids because they have a system have good experience. Out. And it, it, so. to speak to that, when I marched Blue Stars in 2010, our sound guy had marched. I can't remember his name for the life of me right now, but Terrible. he, he well, whatever it was, like, <laughs> it was like eight years ago now or seven and a half years ago. I was talking to him on on e, during our EPAC load time, and I knew he had marched BD in the contra line for a couple years. And I just sat down with them eating food. I was like how different is BD than how we operate? And he was just like night and day. Yeah. He goes, people that don't march blue devils don't understand. He said, they have a system figured out. They have it. They have it mastered down to a T. And they said, it's just a well-oiled machine, man, that they do well because now granted at this point, they've done so well. So it's like the UK basketball or Duke basketball effect. 
they they've been good so now the best people want to go there to have a good chance of winning a title or whatever but before he goes they got there by just figuring it out and they had a system they were consistent and it's a night and day difference between most of the other cores and how they operate on a day-to-day basis continuity is important there are names associated with bd that i can recall going back to at least the early 90s like scott johnson obviously how long has he been there 70s 80s i don't even know uh, Dave Glide, is that the guy that writes? Dave Glide, yeah. John Meehan, the brass uh, captain head. Uh, Scott Chandler. But Numerous people that have we, been there for decades. We talked about this with Jared on the last podcast. And you got to have money. Because a lot of these people, like for example, who was the Tim Maynard? From a bunch of sources that I have talked to, he might be one of the best snare techs of the past 20 years. He did it for probably 10 years, I'm guessing, maybe. Taught for 10 years, 11 seasons. He eventually had to get out because there, he wasn't making enough money. Well, I don't know that for sure. Well, we don't know that. but I, I did not know I would pro- I would go as far as to say, on the whole, very few people make enough money teaching band, and drum corps specifically, to be able to stick in it long term. So You're typically doing something else that's... And if you're not a school teacher or right. something like that, you have to move on at some point. If you want to start a family, buy a house, all these things. And BD probably, because of their success a little bit, and they've got Blue Devils Inc., they make money through... The, whenever there's like a drum line in the Hollywood movie or on, on stage at a concert, it's Blue Devils people. They also, I believe, run a bingo operation. They have a very they do. successful Blue Coats bingo do that operation too. in Ohio. <laughs> and Blue Coats are one of the wealthier cores as well. Pretty successful for and a lot of performers. My point is, though, they've gotten those names to stick around because they've probably been able to incentivize them enough monetarily sure, to sure. get them to not need to go do something else. Yeah. So I, I don't know how other cores climb that hill or get over that hump. They don't. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, they don't. Yeah. They it's, don't. That's so why at the end of the day, fundraising is the... Yeah. You know, when you look at sports and, oh, this guy is now coaching here. This guy's coaching here. This guy was traded. It's jumping ship to the best thing. Drum corps mm-hmm. is just like that. You oh, yeah. know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ring chasing. Yeah. People do it. Well, that's pretty much. I mean, that's kind of, I guess. Yeah, I think we cover all the, the rundown there. of the, the whole rule changes, rule proposals slash stuff, which will allow us to segue into, I guess, a little bit more of your background as far as like obviously at the beginning of this, I alluded to like you taught me how to drum. Justin did a lot more than that. Kind of inspired or led to my decision on where to go to college, like through his drumming at Moorhead, just talking about how much he grew there, how much he learned there. And I was just like, yeah, I want, I want that. This is, this is what I want. And probably it's very similar for Mike with DeMond, who drummed at Moorhead State mm-hmm. with Justin. Um, but it kind of brings me to a point of, you went to Moorhead in the era before the internet really took off, mm-hmm. or before... YouTube before all this mass information was equally equal easily available. Like I saw Moorhead, I was like, oh yeah, and go look up, Google it, whatever. Like, what drew you to a uh, college in the middle of the mountains, out in the <laughs> sticks, in whatever nowhere land? Uh, long story short, my band director uh, as a freshman, it was his first year at my school, fresh out of college, Moorhead State University. Okay. And he was very excited to start teaching, and he was awesome. He was fantastic, super energetic. Um, so he got into the gig, and he just started surveying who he had, and this is my program. This is where we have to go. 
started flooding everybody with information for whatever reason. Uh, I thought it was great. Just he and I really hit it off and clicked. So we talked all the time and um, he said, hey, there's this uh, this thing you need to see. Okay, cool. What is it? So let me borrow this video, VHS tape. And it was uh, probably three to four, maybe more performances of Morehead State's Indoor Drumline from a, a festival event they used to host called the Day of Marching Percussion. Mm-hmm. So I took this thing home and watched it and absolutely wore it out and fell in love. So I had to see it in person. So this event was still going on. So he took me, me and like another guy from the high school. We just loaded up in his truck, left it like, you know, not even crack of uh, dawn, got in the car, drove to Moorhead, saw the whole event the day, saw high school groups perform. They were bringing in clinicians and guest artists, uh, doing a competition aspect. And uh, the Moorhead State Indoor Line was playing at the end of the day, their exhibition. Got to see it in person. I was hooked. That was it. So that would have been 1995? Uh, the first one that I saw in person was maybe 1993. Okay. So the so videos that he War- was... Eric Ward would have been in that one. He was. And was DeMond on the sn- in that yet? Uh, perhaps. DeMond. Uh, he was there sure. for like 30 years, so... He, he, he might have had a point. sabbatical. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he, he was showing me the, the performances on the video from like maybe 88 or so to, to 92. Oh, wow. Which they won uh, a PASIC championship in 92. So those were great shows to see. And also in 88, I believe. So I was seeing really good stuff. So I had to go see it. So 93, 94, 95, when I was in high school, he was he took me up. That's pretty cool. That was great. PASIC uh, in the early 90s, WGI before WGI. Yeah, pretty much where the college indoor circuit was like it. It is nuts thing. how different it was too. The w- it's I, I think different. I think the WG WGI might have come farther and evolved more than DCI has in the last twenty five years. Oh, WGI is like absolutely just insane. The, the change, the change in the drill, the visual packages, the demand, all that stuff. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I had no marching experience in WGI as a performer. It was only that basic style indoor. And it was actually the tail end of that PASIC style indoor. Um, I was in the indoor line at Moorhead 96, 97, 98. And that was when they decided to stop hosting the day of marching percussion. The event was just dwindling. High school groups were not doing indoor events in the fall, running alongside their marching band program. You were oh, hearing, it's a big time investment. You were hearing more of, oh, they're doing it in the spring now. Oh, okay. Interesting. They can devote more time to it because it's not running against marching band. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we hear, oh, they're dressing up like cheetahs and lions. And <laughs> they're dancing around while playing these diddles. And what? <laughs> so it was a very swift transition. Uh, the pacing style was just gone. And all of a sudden, folks well, that were in the, the group with me at Moorhead 98, a good buddy for the 99 season. Hey, I'm going to go be in Music City Mystique. What's that? Oh, it's this WGI group from Nashville. So you have to do this three, four hour drive every weekend to go play the drums the same way that we were. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time we were not sold on it. You know, it was great yeah. to be able to do an indoor line as a part of your college. That was the draw. We were here. Yeah. That was it. That you was don't everything. have to like leave campus. Just go rehearse yeah. down the street. Yeah. We just walk to the music building, grab your drum, go to the other gym. You're set up. You're good. That's funny. Yeah. It's like seems so much more practical than like what we did like driving to ohio it always <laughs> i always had the question why and i know wgi formed as an independent entity but 
do you think there was ever a chance for it to be not necessarily with the NCAA, but like some kind of co- collegiate based circuit? Well, there were collegiate uh, categories, captions, perhaps there were collegiate groups in like 98, 99, 2000 as a part of WGI. And I'm not sure what year that went away, but it was, I don't recall it being really popular because wow. it's all college age kids. Yeah. Why wouldn't it have made sense to wrap it in as some kind of, okay, just NCAA activity. Like why wouldn't it have made sense if right. there's, if there's NCAA like field hockey or things like that like why wouldn't did it make perfect sense to have NCAA? that's interesting you just basically shift it from like instead of like basic where well when you were there groups practiced rehearsed to perform at basic in the fall in november at the conference instead you're practicing to perform at wgi in the spring off same way offsetting that's interesting well you talk about why it couldn't be wrapped up with the university i'm sure it's a lot to do with funding and, and you know look at the budget of any uh even down to the scholastic groups they have pretty high crazy budgets you know music departments at universities they're not getting extra that's true but so but at all at most universities the only two sports that actually make money is men's basketball and football almost every other sport from what i understand is a loser in the financial department and they're and they're funded by the basketball and football programs and i I don't know it'd be interesting to look at like a, a financial sheet of how expensive is it to run a collegiate field hockey team or a collegiate, um, what's a, what's a random men's sport that's not big, uh, oh, track and cross ice country, hockey. like <laughs> ice, especially ho- in ice the hockey. south, yeah. especially in the south. It'd be interesting to see like the comparative budgets of the two, what yeah. that would be, it, wh- whether it could have potentially become an NCAA sanctioned competitive thing, or had Did you to... guys have to pay like dues to do basic or anything, or no. just yeah, no. So I mean that's I mean that's a big difference obviously in WGI like you pay dues to do an independent group. It was not a class you know like marching band you sign up for it's a class and so you're getting credit for it. This was just you're here, you're a part of the indoor line. Yeah, that was an awesome. audition for it and stuff. That was it. Yeah, and you guys won in ninety six. Uh, ninety five. Ninety five. Okay. Yeah, so it's interesting they they won in ninety five the year before I got there and that was the group that was truly the the one that you know sealed the deal for me. Uh, and I did my few years there, and then they went again in 03 and won, and that was once the basic indoor was kind of a shell of its former self. You know, yeah. I think there were like Morehead State and maybe one other group. So UNT you know, or something wasn't even UNT. It might have been because that year it was in Louisville. Basic was okay. Um, wow. Times have changed. Yeah, so I, I think EKU might have been the other group. So yeah, that was it. Just wow. the two, and, yeah. And Nobody that. really goes anymore except for to do like snare Clinics. ensemble, <laughs> yeah, right. that. or something. Right. UNT still does a snare ensemble or something like that, but probably on tradition alone. We tried to do a basic show one year. Were you there? Yes, I was there. That was after 2010 summer. It would have been. It would have been that basic. Didn't last very long. That thought. I think we had like two rehearsals, and then it would not have been good let's put it that way it would not have been good well noble thought and i know we've even touched on this a little bit earlier you know it's about the performance and the experience part of it is you want to go out and compete and stack up against other groups i'm super competitive and once and so is evan so is our friend brent who what none of us three were music majors so we did it by just by choice we didn't have to do it and uh we wanted to do it and then after about two rehearsals we wanted to throw down and be like yeah yeah if we're gonna do this we're gonna because i mean at that point that was before I hadn't done Rhythm X yet, had I? You had done I had 10. Done, I had done You had done Rhythm season. X. I was about to audition for it for my first winter. 
And so if we were going to do it, we wanted to do it right and be just as good as the lines from the 90s and late 80s and stuff and like really turn heads. And we kind of realized after a couple of rehearsals, like this is not going to ever have a chance of being yeah. on that level. And, and there were a lot of factors contributing to that, but we just figured it out. And eventually, thankfully, that the whole percussion studio, we kind of had a meeting and they just decided we're just not going to do this this yeah. year. To be honest, too, it, like if we had done it the right way, it would have been great. It could for the percussion program. Oh yeah, because like you were saying, like you saw these VHS tapes. Like if we'd have gone and thrown down, people would have been like, "Hmm, I might go to school what is in Kentucky." This? Well, that was it. Yeah, that was the attraction, and, and the groups were huge then. You know, like I, I think the year before I got there, the percussion studio might have had like 30, 40 people in it, which. For Warhead State, it's a pretty fair amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a small um, for college. A small in the college, middle of Kentucky, yeah. middle of nowhere. It's a huge studio. And, and I can recall seeing faces from those videos. Just like kids that get on YouTube now. Yeah. They're like, ooh, there's a center snare from so-and-so. He's awesome. I want to drum just like him. You know, it's there's an electricity that you grab onto. That was it for me in those VHS tapes. So you're absolutely right. I wanted to go and be friends with these people. And, and I, I did. And it was great. And I learned from them. And I drummed alongside them. So... That's one of those things that was uh, that was just a great point in time that that was able to happen. Yep, that's pretty sweet. So you're talking about these faces, and that kind of helped me lead into this next. Obviously, a lot of those people had a huge impact on your life. We already mentioned before, Eric Ward was there, who marched cadets and just great drummer. That's another same, phenomenal drummer. Mm-hmm. And what was dude, his nickname? Yoda. Well, that's what that's what I've called him. <laughs> oh, okay, I, I thought that was like an official thing. Uh, no, no, I don't think it was okay. nickname, but that's basically what I've called him. Like, because Eric Ward to like me from like the description of Justin and Chris, who also taught me in high school and was at Moorhead with uh, Justin, is like the epitome of just like fundamentals and chops and just play anything, just amazing, phenomenal drummer. But he's like Yoda to me, and then like <laughs> we compared Jeff Queen to like Darth Vader because <laughs> Jeff Queen's like super famous and obviously a very talented and phenomenal drummer. But he has all this fame. But on the flip side, like Yoda's just like this like humble dude who's just like flying <laughs> under the radar, who's just like whatever. I'll drum anybody under the table. So that was what me and Brent called him. That's funny. But, uh, that's funny because that's pretty accurate. Eric was at least drumming. He was pretty zen, like pretty calm, pretty mellow. Very direct. <laughs> Knew exactly what to say, when to say it, how to say it. No more, no less. Yeah. Yeah. These diddles are great, you say. He's <laughs> Yoda, man. Uh, so obviously, these people had such a huge impact on, like, probably your teaching now. Oh, and yeah. just like, who else was there? Like, Brian Izard and... So many good people. Um, so many good Greg Strauss drums. and... Greg Strauss, who's kind of a fixture in the Lexington area. He's... Oh, Other, Bridgman, dude. Yeah, otherworldly. He's r- ridiculously talented. Brian Iser, uh was from the He was Louisville. a Cavalier, wasn't he? No, he... Uh, Am I thinking of somebody else? What you're thinking of Brian Perez, maybe. Maybe. What? Go Brian on, Brian Isert, uh, he's from the Louisville area, and he, I want to say, he did Star of Indiana, the Brass Theater. It was 94, so it was the year after uh, their second They said screw DCI? Yeah. And so it was a lot of the same staff people were teaching there, so... He got a lot of similar instruction. Great player. Like it's hard to be articulate on tenors, and at the time, this guy could play three-inch taps that felt like he was just tapping on your forehead. <laughs> so good. 
Oh so my gosh. good. That's awesome. Yeah. And then like Todd was Todd there too, right? Todd Wright was an adjunct instructor. Okay. He was one of my uh, first instructors. He taught me in private lessons. And you I marched quads for Spirit of Atlanta. Spirit of Atlanta. Back in the day. Yeah. I learned so much from Todd in that first year. Probably more from him than any other person. Uh, just a lot of sage worldly advice. Like, just, hey, suck it up. Practice more. <laughs> yeah. Get good, kid. Seriously, like we, I would play my one of my jury pieces and he'd say, yeah, it's pretty good. Just need to practice more. <laughs> Fair enough. And that's that was it. You know, he, another one of those, no more, no less. Cool. And then obviously the head of the percussion studio at the time, Frank Otis was there, yeah. uh, just making, driving you guys, instilling the ultimate work ethic, I Sticking guess. Sticking his foot up your all's butt. <laughs> yeah. The ultimate hype man. Yeah. You know? So he, he would give it up when it was, yes, when it was in, there? In his own way. In his own way. But it, obviously anyone that knows Frank Otis knows how passionate uh, especially about the marching percussion stuff that he was at, at that time. Uh, you know, a motivator like no other. He could get you going. Get the best out of you. And if you couldn't get going yourself, I mean, he was going to get you going. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. an option. That's that's the, the one thing I can definitely say about him. He could get the best out of you. He could get the best out of groups. Sometimes it was through great information. Sometimes it was just through, I'm going to get the best from you. We're going to do this until you <laughs> this get it right. going to be great. We're going to be good and or we're going, going to, to die. We're going to rehearse for hours and I'm going to exhaust every means possible to get the best from you. Didn't you say one time that you guys had like a flood? He like picked a guy up on like a canoe or something. <laughs> there's there's various stories like that. Uh, I know one of the years I was there, we had a big snowstorm. You know, uh, he got into his car and drove out into the country and picked up these four or five guys that lived together and brought them in for a rehearsal. You know, it's one of those like seven, eight, nine inch snows, just enough to be cumbersome. No one's driving around, <laughs> but it was, well, you're all on campus, so we're going to rehearse. Yeah. Except for these four or five guys in the house. He went and picked them up, brought them back. That's awesome. We rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> no excuses. None. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. Um, all right. So I want to, I want to talk about your, your drum corps experience because you marched with what core was it? They're called the Volunteers. And that was Div 3 when Div 3 was still a thing, right? Yes. I want to talk about what that experience was like. I'm just curious. Uh, it was good. Uh, to sum it up just very briefly, it was good. I didn't intend to do it. Uh, that was the summer of 97 for me. And uh, I was going to do nothing. My high school band director, the same guy that showed me all this Moorhead State stuff, who was also just, he was a drum corps guy. He had marched in blue coats for four years. I believe he was a contra player. So he was just all on top of the end things. Like he knew about indoor drum line, sure. drum corps. He was on staff there and he called me up in May. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. You want to come be in this little drum corps? Well, what is it? Tell me more about it. It's a brand new drum corps from Knoxville, Tennessee. Not a lot of folks. We need some people here. Can you do this? Well, I think so. How much does it cost? Don't worry about it. Can you be here? Can you do it? <laughs> okay. Sure. Packed a bag. Got in my car. Drove to Knoxville. It's fun. There's some talented dudes. Not a lot of them. You know, Div 3 was small. I can't mm -hmm. remember what the cap was. Maybe like 60 people in Div 3. That was the um, core member cap yeah, limit? Yeah, the cap was 60. 
Huh. Yeah, so basically, Division Two II and Three eventually got rolled together to become mm-hmm. open class. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think 60 might have been the cap for Division Three. It's either 60 or 80. I can't recall. So not a lot of people. It was a small group. Showed up. It was fun. Some of the guys were talented. They were really fun to hang out with. Yeah. Um, I can't really pay for this. I don't know how much it costs. <laughs> and that kind of, that was a cool thing. He, he did me a favor and, you know, it was a prorated fee. I took care of what I could. I got to do it. Yeah, that's and cool. I ended up being the section leader in center snare, which was just icing on the cake. It was great. Nice. And I, I had a good time. There's other folks that I know that are kind of my age and generation, and they talk about Division Three. You know, the joke is kind of, oh, that's where men are made. Yeah. Because there are talented folks. There really yeah. are. The difference is maybe they're a little green. Yeah. don't have that much experience yet. So you get your butt kicked. Like, it was... Uh, all right, we're drumming for like 16 hours today. I would argue that even nowadays, open class cores probably get their butt kicked more than the world class cores do. I remember actually... Just because they have to. Sure. To we get them sure. to perform because yeah. of the lack of experience. They yeah. have to go through the fire pretty much yeah. before they can... We had done a podcast previously with Andrew Kane. I remember he talked about that. Like He marched Cadets too, yeah. talking about like versus Cadets, the world class group, and where you're trying to fit the same amount of like information and like work ethic into like a, a weekend. weekend slash smaller amount yeah. of time and you're just like getting worked. Yeah. He just said absolutely cadets, worked. He said cadets too was harder than marching cadets. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. I, I had a great experience. So I can recall vividly during our move ins, my hips just hurting from wrapping like these slow, like, you know, one twenty, one thirty BPM like crab step things for Oh my God, those old shell end. carriers. Yeah, oh just gosh. like, oh, this hurts so bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably logged like 200 reps on this in like three or four hours. Your Fitbit would have gone crazy if oh, that existed yeah. then. Like, stop, I, I you've done too much. I would have loved to have tracked my steps throughout either one of my summers and just see how many miles I would have covered if I was just like walking. Or yeah. I would have loved to have done that. Here's the thing though, coming from my Moorhead experience, you know, because I was a sophomore and I did this Div 3 drum corps thing, you know, we were used to being pushed pretty hard. And so I didn't really think anything of this. It was kind of familiar. Like, it was yeah, good. You, you got to stop crying. Step your game up. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I handled it pretty well. And I, I think it was a good motivator for the dudes around me. Like, all right, hey, dudes, let's go. Yeah. Let's do this thing. Nice. This is fun. We're drumming together. The weather's great. Let's get better. Yeah. I think that was the only thing I tried to pride myself on when I was ended up being thrust into the center snare position in 2010 at Crown. Like, I was never, I mean, the weather sucked, and I can remember instances where it was really bad, but, and I was never, I guess, the most talented drummer. Like, I I could play some stuff, thanks to Justin. Like, he, I was well versed <laughs> in rudiments and stuff, but I probably never had the most chops, but I was just like, I just do the thing. Like, all right, here we go. And everybody else is like, all right, here we go. Well, yeah. honestly, in my opinion, the role of like your center quad player or your center snare drummer or your second bass drummer, yeah, the center snare has some responsibilities from an ensemble on-field standpoint of tempo and timing and all these things. But if I'm being honest, their role is probably better as a motivator. Mm-hmm. And like, for you example... Lead like, by example. You lead much. by example. And yeah. when the staff is kicking the crap out of you, you need someone that's been through it multiple times that can be that one who's like, all right, guys, let's come on. Like, this sucks, but we're going to get through this and we're going to do it. You know what I mean? What I don't like is when you end up having a section leader that tries to act as another staff member. 
I think that can end up being detrimental because you're getting beat down so much and so hard every day. You need that. Open it. Yeah, do it. There we go. <laughs> now we're having fun. Um, you need that person that can like pat you on the back. Like they're the, I don't want to say the rock of the group, but that like steadfast person that can, can be that lot of crap. If he can do it, all right, I can do it. Yeah. And needs a rock. It, it shouldn't be miserable for everyone. And everyone's going to have their days, but there does have to be people. And maybe it's always a section leader. Maybe it's not someone that's yeah. driving and pushing and pulling ahead. Absolutely. Yep. So after the volunteers, you ended up making bluecoats as well, right? But I remember this is like a year, I think you've told me before, that bluecoats had like a you, massive turnover. Yeah, so back to the 97 thing. I did my summer, had a great experience. Staff was great. Other guys in Marshwood were great. I came back for the 98 season. I thought this is going to be really cool. And it was kind of cool <laughs> as in that percussion staff bailed this is with the volunteers that dm3 core um i was still going to be in the line and the staff was gone so at a certain point at a camp the director says hey will you kind of run this thing until we find a new percussion staff i was 20 years old <laughs> you wanted to march you didn't want to teach that right. right i was still in the group like uh okay i can kind of hold this together i think they never got another percussion staff so i ended up being the percussion caption head <laughs> at, at 20? 20 years old yeah. oh my god no place no business doing this <laughs> completely should have not happened but it did so for a couple of camps i was kind of working things from within the line like just running a snare sectional and like okay didn't really know what i was doing jumped out in front of the line ended up teaching the whole summer it was really cool learned a lot i could probably talk for you know 48 hours on that summer alone just learned so much <laughs> what to do what not to do um saw blue coats on tour a lot that summer in 98 they were jamming this was really good bill bachman i was, was gonna say it was that bill when bill was there bill bachman was there so the quad line was slamming in 98 uh, i think matt savage might have been the caption head there at the time uh snares drummed well bass drums drum well like it was just a really solid group and they were fun like i saw it a lot and just really dug it so knowing that I had some time left to march, that's where I was going to go. So fast forward to 99, I go to the first camp and I took some of those guys with me from volunteers. I took a, a couple up there with me. We get to the first camp for the 99 season. There's zero vets. <laughs> that percussion staff is gone. Oh, so I'm like, oh staff man, I'm, I'm in another one of those situations. Again. Like, dang, I just, ah. And I was thinking, like, am I going to get to be the captain head for Blue Coats now? <laughs> That'd be cool. But that did not happen. So I uh, just jumped right in. Uh, at the first camp, uh, it was Eric Hubble. I know was, that name. He I've was, heard the name, too. He was up in the Columbus him. area now, I think. He was in the Columbus area. He was also an old Moorhead guy. He was there in the early 90s. Like, he was a center snare, and he marched cadets. Great guy, great snare drummer. Uh, he was just in the area. They got him to fill in. John Merritt. Was also filling uh, in. John. He's pretty. I've met him before. Storied and well known. Center snare in 93, 92? Three, three. Ward was the Ward was the center in 94. I think John Merritt. I have been 92 and 93. I yeah. could be wrong. If anyone knows, comment on the video yeah. and let us know. So these guys were there at the first camps filling in. Just, I, I don't even think they were planning to be official. So anyway, they in the snare room, you know, there's like 30, 40, 50 kids. 
So there's no vets. He's going to tap off. Let's raise my hand. Okay, here we go. I start tapping off and stayed there for a little bit. And eventually, a couple of camps later, they're like, hey, after, you know, individual auditions and whatnot, I like what you're doing, like your attitude, like how you play, like your vibe. Would you be willing to be our center and our section leader? Well, yes. yes. <laughs> At the Blue Coats? At the uh-huh. Blue Coats? Yes. This is Please? fantastic. Yeah, this is like Christmas. All like, yes. <laughs> yes, this is great. Well, what did I do to deserve this? And, you know, just right place, right time. Um, a couple of camps go on. Those guys don't come back. That progression and, staff? Yeah, the, the temporary guys filling in. They're they're gone. Oh, they were just temporary. Like John Mayer and them. Yeah, they were temporary. So they were not back. And those other folks. And it got really weird, really awkward. Um, just you get the vibe that this is not going to be good. This is not The summer's not going to go well. And I think the 99 summer was not a good summer for the They Blue finished Coats. 13th. Yeah, I remember That's hearing about that in alumni night or something. Very few years, if not like maybe the only year, they've been outside of finals that 99 season. They were 13th. Did not have a good feeling about it, so I didn't do it. One of the guys that I took up from the volunteers, he ended up marching in the tenor line. I think he had a good experience because he stayed there for a couple of years. Uh, after that but for me it was just, it was not a good fit i could tell that it was not going to make your well. stomach feel queasy you're like oh yeah. yeah yeah just not this is not going to work <laughs> and I, I heard later on from some of the guys that marched that summer that they they had a good experience because you know obviously you bond together and you make the thing happen but it was one of those they got their butts it was a hardship handed to them on a daily basis dang yeah wow you could have changed that, Justin. I could yeah. have. You could have been tapping <laughs> off there. You could have had him in 12. You could have gotten him in 12. Yeah. So after that, I that, I was done. I I'm That was your age out summer? Or you... My age out summer, yeah. Gotcha. Well, uh, so obviously we talked about your experience in Moorhead, how you got into Moorhead, experience with drum corps. I guess to fast forward a little bit, graduated – my first run in, so you've had, I guess when I first ran into you was at Henry Clay in my sophomore year, but at that point you've taught a couple other places previous to that, right? Like Shelby County. Yeah, um, just, and that was only for uh, helping camp. out. Yeah, just kind of getting my foot in the door in Kentucky. Todd Wright was there for a while, so he had me come over. And, and that was in like out. the early 2000s. Yeah, right? 2001. With like uh, Seth. Who we know, Whitaker. Yeah, Seth Whitaker and, and Jared, Jared Andrews. Andrews were both in that line. <laughs> relocated back to uh, yeah. Who once Seth Whitaker, the center snare for Cadets in Cadets. 06. Jared Andrews, the center snare for Cadets and quad, quad player, player at BD. And, wait, wait. Or no, center quad player yeah, at Cadets. I was like, he never. <laughs> now teaches at yeah, BD. So that was, a, that was a fun little group. And I was just there for camp, but that was my first teaching experience in Kentucky. And I was like, if this is like this everywhere, these kids can play. Like, this is going to be great. So yeah, yeah. I'm in the right spot. Todd had some good groups, man. When he, he did. Was in that time period, he had he some really, really good. Those early 2000s Shelby kind of kids could. Funny, fu- funny story about Jared Andrews real quick. Todd, I remember Todd, I taught with Todd after I graduated high school and was in college and whatnot. And um, I asked him about Jared and I said, did you, did you ever think that he would end up where he was? And he goes, he was a kid that the first time I saw him hold sticks – I 100% thought, like, this kid needs to do nothing with this. <laughs> he is made to do this. That's awesome. And it was funny. He almost didn't do it because apparently he was playing football at the same time. He looks like a football player. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think he was always that big, but he, he's pretty big now, uh, muscle-wise. But 
when he was younger, Todd told me a story. I think it went in something like he was debating between band and the drum line and like playing football. But I think he was doing both for a little bit, like practicing on the football team as a freshman and also like drumming and stuff with them. And Todd said, like, yeah, like I said, he knew this kid needed to play drums, like some kind of percussion or drumming. This kid needed to do it. And I think he ended up getting like hurt playing football, like somewhat injured, whether it was, I don't know if it was an arm yes, or fate. a leg, some mm-hmm. injury. He Destiny. Got, he got hurt. And so that kind of made the decision for him. Like he got hurt and he was like, well, I can't play football anymore this season. So I guess I'll just do band. I think he was in the front ensemble that year because he couldn't march because of the injury or something. And so that was how he ended up make, having the decision made for him to do band over pursuing football fully. It's marching percussions gang, that's for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, so obviously you taught there. And then I guess you got hooked up with Chris, who you mm-hmm. went to Moorhead with. Chris Logue, who now lives in Texas and can't hang out with any of us. Or <laughs> you moved to Texas? Or return a phone call if you you're listening. Uh, yeah, he's in Texas now. Right. Um, Random. But... So had Chris already been at Henry Clay or did you guys just like get the gig no, together? Got the gig together. He actually got the call because of Todd Wright. Um, the band director at Henry Clay was brand new. Had worked with Todd Wright. Called Todd Wright. Hey, I need a percussion staff. Todd called Chris. Chris and I were roommates. That's how it started. So that was 2003? Two. Two. Okay. Yeah. It's all history from there. It's yeah. all history from there. <laughs> it really is. So you guys got into Henry Clay... Obviously, my, I guess, 2000 and the fall of 2004, my sophomore year, was when I was introduced to the old Henry Clay at Transferred, met Justin and Chris. They are probably like, who is this kid trying to come in here and play traditional grip? We don't do that. Uh, and actually, Nick Dedrickson was taught that camp, too. Yeah. With you guys. I, were, I, t- I taught with Nick for a couple seasons of high school when I was in college. He's really cool. Nick Dedrickson like and Nick. his, I think he's wearing a straw hat at that. At That's, that sound, he still wears a straw hat. When he, <laughs> he still does. He, he definitely um, was. Uh, Marsh Boston Crusaders, I think. Yeah. Yep. Started taking lessons with Justin, and that was when my whole world changed uh, as far as a rudimental slash percussionist. Um, but I guess that brings me to this. So from there to like now, obviously that's a long span of time, but just teaching over the years and seeing kids and developing kids and bringing them from the process of being green to mediocre to proficient to distinguished at a certain skill train. Like how much has your teaching philosophy, and this is like a really packed in question, I guess changed (laughs) over the years or what sort of shifts have you kind of seen in yourself as approach to kids and letting them grow in a certain area versus all the areas or making sure they're well-rounded versus specific in an area? Uh, when I first started, obviously when you're young and you know out of college and out of drum corps and indoor and all that stuff, you kind of want to change the world just because you're excited to get into it. I initially had the mindset, you know, from the total percussion standpoint, everyone should be able to do everything just because that's the way I was taught. I came to realize four or five years in that everyone can't do everything. They can't. They're just, they're not talented enough. They're not going to work hard enough. This is not their love. This is not their passion. This they is don't not like their, it. Yeah. They just don't like it sometimes. And that's fine. But it took a little bit of time to realize that. Um, once I made that shift, things got a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Once I realized that 
oh, little Johnny is a good snare drummer. Let he him play snare to drum. play snare drum. He's going to play snare drum. It got a lot more fun for little Johnny and for me. He's having a great time. And then you start to find other students that find their roles and it just starts to work. And it's no longer little Johnny's miserable playing bells. <laughs> little Johnny's having a blast marching snare drum around the field because yeah. he worked towards it, earned it, and he gets to yeah. do what he wants now. So the biggest shift for me was, uh, okay, I'm going to get kids in a spot where they're having fun, where they're successful, and that's going to work, and it did. Obviously, I'm always keeping an eye on, you know, I, I've got very few kids that go on and do music. Most everyone else graduates, and they go on and they do their thing, whatever that's going to be, doctor, lawyer, engineer, uh, ditch digger, car washer, fruit picker, you name <laughs> it. They're going to go do their thing. Uh, so the music kids that I'm going to go do music, they do get shifted around. They do get more of that total experience. I make sure that that happens. Yeah. But in general, it's who's going to be the most success- successful and have the most fun where, okay, that's where you go. And that's worked. worked it's well. refreshing for me to hear that because I, I battled with that a little bit when I was in high school. I was, I was a kid that I wanted to play snare drum. And I was going to march snare drum. And I ended up, I got to for my sophomore, junior, and senior year. And I, But I was I was forced. And now it was, if I could have just not done concert band ever, I would have been totally okay with that. I knew I wasn't going to major in music in college. I knew I wasn't going to ever do anything with music. I just wanted to march snare drum. I got hooked on it. Saw drum corps. Demond gave me, a, instilled like this drive towards it in me. It got me excited about it. But I had to put all this time into, I think they forced me to do a marimba solo at, at solo and ensemble one year. And I did it. I hated every second of it because I didn't want to play marimba. It, I looked at drumming as my sport. Like it was a competitive activity that, that I was pretty natu- naturally inclined to be pretty good at. That's what I wanted to do. And I would have, I wish that I didn't have to take band class. I wish I didn't have to do percussion ensemble. I just wanted to play snare drum. So I, I totally, it's refreshing to hear you say that when you have a kid that, wants to play snare drum or wants to play tenors or wants to play marimba or whatever. And they already know, like, I'm not going to study percussion after high school. Like, I just want to do this. I'm sitting here having the thought that I wish I could have taught you in high school because all those things are valid and they can all make you a better snare drummer. I wouldn't have forced you into it, but you can learn so many other things from the other aspects and areas of percussion. What I will follow Uh, up with, what I will follow up with is... There were benefits to getting the experiences and being in percussion ensembles from just ensemble timing, understanding, and playing in an ensemble. Yeah. There were benefits of it. And I, I get it. But as a 17-year-old kid, it's not what I wanted to do. Right. I wanted to play snare drum. Well, and that was I think it. there's a big difference in like forcing a kid to do a marimba solo versus requiring a kid to be in concert band and symphonic band and a part of your piece is to play the marimbas because in percussion ensemble and that's a different thing you can give that drummer kid all right you're going to play this concert bass drum part or you're going to play this concert snare drum part because you're naturally good at that that's what you want to do that's fine and i got to do that some uh todd tried real hard he was there was one time i had a xylophone part in some some piece in for some concert we were doing and i was Obviously, when when you're when you're a good drummer, like your hands do what you tell them to. Yes. Like, so I could play xylophone parts, I could play marimba parts, and he's like, "You sure you don't want to major in percussion?" I was like, "No, leave me alone. <laughs> it's not well, what I want to do." And I think Justin can probably elaborate on this too. But like, I feel like in my mind, as a student, and like now 
after I've graduated from high school and college as an educator and I teach private lessons and that sort of thing. As an educator, like your job or my job is to feel like I give kids the information to do with what they want to do. So if a kid wants to be an all-around musician, I'm going to give them the information. If they want to approach that and soak it in and apply that all around, yeah, that's fine. But I'm going to give them the information. for. So for instance, when I was in high school, we had percussion ensemble. We took the theory and we learned about all the theory and we had to pass all our scales and major, minor, harmonic minors, all that sort of stuff. And we had to learn about all those aspects. Now, for me personally, I knew I wasn't going to major in music similar to you were. Um, but if I was, that information was given to me to for where sure. I could build upon it. For sure. Um, I didn't choose to use it, which is me. I wanted to kind of focus myself similarly. I wanted to drum, so that was my focus. But I think that's more of along the lines of like what Justin's saying is there are kids that you can see have a path that are more linear and streamlined. Like, I want to do this. I want to play quads. I want to play marimba. I want to play timpani. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you teach everybody everything, but obviously you just have to recognize this kid doesn't want to do everything to, like, the nth degree. He wants to do this one thing, and that makes sense. Yeah. So I would definitely say I don't cater to kids and their interests, but I steer them more towards their interests than in other directions. You know, I have kids that will just out and out say, I hate playing with a wing group. And I don't belittle them. I don't, well, you should. It's okay. I get it. I understand. It can be I not. I like doing it either. <laughs> it really can be not that inter- interesting for a percussionist. It can also be super interesting depending on the pieces you're playing and the person putting it together. I don't force it. And when that happens, okay. So you love playing marimba? Well, let's find some cool marimba literature and, and get you to dig into it. Let's get you some some lessons. Let's, um, you know, we do a solo and ensemble event, which is fantastic. We don't require the kids to do it. We urge them to do it. And we don't tell them, you're going to play snare drum for the solo and ensemble thing. I'm very much, what do you want to do? Okay. Let's work on the snare. Let's That's work cool. on that. Awesome. It's their choice because... You know, in our percussion class, they might be playing suspended cymbal for a month. And then the next piece, they might be playing lead marimba for a month. You know, the percussion family is pretty vast. It just depends on the kid. So that way, there's no wasted time. They're working on something that they're really into that could also be, you know, steps above this ensemble material. And they're digging into something in the percussion world that they're into. Yeah. And, you know... It's coming back to our drum corps discussion and tiers and placement and whatever. It's experience. I'm I'm really boiling a lot down to the experience these days, like for the students, the members. Like, is it fun? Is it memorable? If you can achieve that, then you, you've got a winner. Maybe not a medal winner, but you, you've got a winner. Yeah. You've got something mm-hmm. special. Experience is a big deal, and... Um... I don't think I've ever referenced my wife on this podcast before, but I think where she is a middle school band director, that is a big part of her job or like her success and why she does well to retain kids in a 11, 12, 13 year old range is she gives them a good experience. Like, yeah, she teaches them and she's hard on them. And I think they enjoy being pushed by her. Mm-hmm. 
because they realize like I'm getting better at this. I'm achieving this. Like I'm, I can, I can see my, the progress, but she also does things with them where she takes trips. She takes fun adventures. She takes them to St. Louis, Atlanta, because it's an experience. And if kids going on a field trip to St. Louis or Atlanta is an incentive for them to stick around at that age where they don't really know, then like that's experience. Like, yeah, like, I had a good experience doing band because we you're, had fun with my kids and my friends. You're connecting music to positive things, which is really what it's all about. You know, boil down when you get in your car and you're listening to whatever on the radio. It's because it makes you feel good and you enjoy it. Why do you go see a concert, your favorite group? You enjoy it. You have fun. You know, so a lot of music can really be boiled down that simply. So I, I totally understand why folks get into situations where, ugh, learning these notes, this instrument. You know, if it doesn't speak to them, it doesn't. Yeah. So why force it? Cool. There's one last thing. We've been going for a little while here. There's one last thing I want to talk about. It's it's kind of changing subjects a little bit, kind of going a little more serious here and less abstract. As someone that's kind of been in the game throughout the entire evolution of WGI and DCI from the starting point of DCI in the, in the late 80s, you kind of saw some of that as you were growing up and then experienced the 90s and then have watched it throughout the 2000s so far and the same thing with WGI you've watched it basically be born from nothing and then go to where it is now and this is a question I, th- I, I know I've asked other guests we've had on here and I just like getting different perspectives on this can it ever become mainstream can either one of these activities ever find a way to break through to the general public because I've never shown either activity to anyone and not had them go Man, that's really freaking cool. Like, I didn't know this existed. That's awesome. I'm going to say no. <laughs> that's how I feel. That's what yeah. he feels. <laughs> that's I what I'm, I'm, I'm up in the air. Like, no, I asked the question. No. no. <laughs> I asked the question because I'm torn. I, I, it's almost to me like a coin flip at this point. Yeah. I think we think, like, I feel like the three of us probably think it's a, this is a nationally recognized event. Like, this is a, this is it's all not. across the country. It's and not. it is. It's but not. it's in much smaller numbers. <laughs> if you were to pull the crap... Because I think this is why. It requires a sense of background, skill set, and knowledge to appreciate. to appreciate at the level we do. As opposed to like sports where like you can just watch somebody run and be like, that dude is super freakish athletic. Yeah, that's true. I will say in my time in the activity, I think over the last... 15 years the music selections have become more accessible that doesn't mean that they're still not from a very small pool of fans and appreciators most of the crowd at most dci shows are members parents and alumni of course yes and that's really it it's a self it's a self-feeding activity in that sense like it's not who goes to the high school marching band shows parents and Future uh, former students. Yeah, the football, I, the athletic director is not showing up. The football team's not showing up to support it. I mean, it's, it's, I've never maybe they are, but encountered an individual at any show that's just there because they love it and they're not tied to someone performing or teaching or, or done it before. Right? Yeah, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, there's plenty of people that go to baseball games, hockey games that never played a single game of hockey in their life. They're never... social events. Yeah, yeah. that's that's true. I even when we're designing our marching band shows, something that's always in the back of my mind, and fully aware that we're creating these shows for this small niche audience, I always think about we're playing some of these shows at a football game. 
So there's some cheerleading dad that's over at the concession stand eating a hot dog. Like, what's he thinking during our halftime <laughs> show? You know? Evidence. It's always in the back of my mind. <laughs> we That reminds me. We there was the, 2012, there was the Mid-South Regional uh, at WKU, Western Kentucky University. And Evan and I rode over to the show from the rehearsal facility um, in his car. And we parked in their fitness center parking lot. Now we're already in uniform. Like we're in our freaking pow- white power white Ranger, power Ranger or whatever. And we had our drums in the trunk. <laughs> so we had to walk from the parking lot all the way over to the warm up zones. And to do that, like one side of the fitness center is window with a bunch of treadmills in front of it. <laughs> so we basically put our drums on in uniform and just like walked in front of this window in front of all these people running on, a, on treadmills and stuff and ellipticals and, we got past it, and I was like, what do you think they were thinking as we walked past all of them? Where's the nerd? Yeah, people? like, is this, like, Comic-Con or yeah, whatever's like, going on? Look at these idiots. This reminds me of a story of 2010. Um, and so we're on tour at Crown, and we're staying at some high school like we always do. And our staff is sleeping in a separate room. Well, like, the whole core is in the gymnasium, but the staff sleeping somewhere else, whatever. The percussion staff is in what I'm assuming is the wrestling room where they have wrestling practice. Well, the kids for the high school show up for wrestling practice, and the staff is still asleep or whatever. These people don't really know it. The wrestling coach is there, and they're telling us these stories. And they're like, Coach, like, what are all these kids doing? And you, you can censor this, censor this if you want, but this is not a do, I don't know how to do that. So this is not a it. derogatory <laughs> statement just towards anybody, but the coach goes, I don't know, some traveling faggot circus band or something. <laughs> so that's basically like what their perception of us is. Yeah. And they're just telling us this story. And so we just adopt it like, yeah, that's that's what we are. <laughs> but, there, but, there's a, but there's a flip side to that though too. Um, I cannot remember what drum corps it was or what university they always rehearsed at. But the, the football coach or the basketball coach would always bring his team out to watch part of a rehearsal like an ensemble rehearsal, and he would tell his players, if you guys work as hard as these kids would work, these kids work for 90 days straight. If you would, I think if that's you the would, University of Southern California, actually, and I don't know why I know that, but I'm pretty sure that's what you're talking about. Because I don't know who told me the story, but I thought it was awesome when I heard it. And basically, he brings his players out there just to show them the work ethic and say, if you guys pra- give me in practice every day what these kids are doing for 90 days straight, we will win a national title this year. And just... Because the work ethic is ridiculous. It is. If you think about what what the members do on a daily basis and the, what they go through and how hard they push themselves mentally and physically, it's probably true. If a basketball team would give that much effort and focus every day in practice for their basketball season, they'd probably win a lot more games. There really is nothing like music out there. It's uh, you know the folks that don't go on to do music as a living but end up doing something else. If they take something away from music, just that. The work ethic, man. The work ethic, and just there's something that can enrich my life and make it better, you know, than anything that we do, we talk about, we discuss, it's a win. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah, man. I think that's a pretty solid one to to close this one out. So, solid piece of advice to leave our enriched viewers with. Yeah. (laughs) So, thanks everybody for hanging out with us. Uh, As always, subscribe to the YouTube channel you're listening to this on. Follow us on Facebook. Like us there too, facebook.com slash agedoutpodcast. Follow us on Instagram at, again, as always, agedoutpodcast. Um, did I miss anything? I think that covers it. Facebook, Instagram, 
subscribe. Yeah, send us messages if you have questions. Yeah, if you have questions, hit us up. Make a comment. We have the email address, ageoutpodcast at gmail.com. Submit a question there. We'll address it the next time we record. Peace.